0: sound is governed by exact number. The world of vision is governed by exact number. But it's clear that it must begin hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the sig marxism podcast i am your very beleaguered and tired host joined by very beleaguered and tired guests uh i'm sam um this episode as always will be edited by rich thank you so much rich uh we owe you a whole lot for this and best of luck and happy birthday at the time of this recording everybody wish rich a wonderful happy birthday um Today we are having another book topic, uh, but before we get into that, uh, I am joined by Alex, who is very kind and getting up at the hell hours of dawn. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex, how are you doing today?
1: Well, pre-dawn even, um, 4 a.m., which is definitely a normal time to be awake uh, right now. I'm going to try and keep my voice low for the first five minutes so I don't wake up my, uh, my housemates, but I'll probably forget. Um, so we're all good. I'm sure they'll understand. I'll just explain to them that we're uh, uh, ragging on a um, a five-year-old book about nerd shit. I'm sure they'll understand.
0: Uh, so yeah, the content never sleeps. Um, it's their fault for not being for not being constantly uh, content creators uh, and influencers. And speaking of Dawn, today we are joined by Dawn. Dawn, welcome to the show for the first time. Hi, I'm a long-time ho, first-time mad, and I'm so glad to be on the program today. All right, and we're so glad to have you first. And before we get into things first, uh, what is the best fan- uh, fantasy faction and why is it Ogre Kingdoms, Don? Well, the best fantasy faction is obviously Ogre Kingdoms because
2: they're full of just such incredible design chops and they have such a varied degree of inspirations. A lot of the fantasy factions sort of fell into a very sort of narrow design space where they were drawn from a very specific culture and had very little thematics because they were so. Designed around a very, very specific cultural influence that was viewed semi-positively by the creators, whereas Ogre Kingdoms have a lot more flexibility in that, and they're led to a lot more thematic storytelling, which we can especially see in their reinterpretations in Age of Sigmar. Indeed. Um,
0: so, so we had that little bit thing. Um, obviously, you are well versed in the hobby, but um, Don, like, how are you uh, familiar with the hobby? You know, do you play some games? Do like you like to paint? Do you like to read the lore? How are you, how are you involved? Well, I first started playing Warhammer Fantasy when I
2: was quite young. Um I I bought some very small miniatures like a lot of uh when I was around um 14 or 15, I would get uh pocket money and I would go to the Games Workshop and buy those little three packs of um you know the the skeletons or the chaos warriors or whatever. Um and the one army that I did collect out of like the larger miniatures was was Tomb Kings, but I never actually played a game. I just liked Painting them really badly. Um, oh, that's my deal right now. Times, when the End Times came out, um, I, I found, oh, I thought, oh this, this is a cool use for me to use all these old miniatures, especially with the new rules that were very, much more freedom. Um, because it was the End Times, it was like, you can do whatever alliances you want. You can sort of be a little more creative. There's less points limits. So uh, because of that, I just, I played a lot with this sort of mishmash army of all my older miniatures. Um, but then after the end times ended, I, I sold them all off. Uh, it's only just now, especially with Sigmarxism, which I'm sort of uh, quite really involved with and I'm a mod on the subreddit and the Discord, uh, that I've started to recollect. And uh, I'm now collecting Legions of Nagash in uh, Warhammer Fantasy and Space Wolves in Warhammer 40,000.
0: Oh, very cool. Um, if you hadn't guessed by now, uh, we are actually going to have a Warhammer Fantasy uh, based book episode. Uh, no more 40k. I know 40k fans. You you're used to all the spotlight, but Fantasy and AOS need their own time. So yes, 40k is
2: over. We killed it finally.
0: <laughs> Dawn personally killed it and ate it alive in the fashion of an ogre. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the end times. Uh, more specifically, we are talking about the book uh, by Josh Reynolds, uh, Return of Nagash. Uh, now. nagash is kind of like a very infamous character sort of deal he's kind of the figurehead i almost want to say that like all comes from nagash and and nagash is all kind of that sort of deal uh i was like who is nagash alex and dawn for those who are unfamiliar my kind of like only familiar with the 40k side
1: i mean so it would be reductive to say not sauron um because he's a lot more than that but he's kind of playing on that classic uh dark evil necromancer archetype but I think what kind of adds to his, his character and makes him a bit more interesting is that he's just incredibly petty and petulant and just like a complete <laughs> like a, 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 a messy selfish asshole um, he's just a messy actually, bitch he's just such a messy bitch right? <laughs> Oh yeah, callback back to our um, episode with Gareth on uh, Galaxy and Flames. Um yeah, l- l- less kind of um uh less less good- gay coded. Oh well, yeah, l- also less good looking Lucius basically. Um, <laughs> uh, I,
0: don't, I don't know about you. Let's talk about your own kinks, but uh that bony frame, I really like that bony frame. I <laughs> just yeah that uh, yeah, and the guys just kind of like the like even more so than like chaos because chaos is kind of like this amorphous force, you know, that's just like the force of bad or obviously if you want different reinterpretations, chaos can be neither good nor bad. It's just, uh, human emotions, war, war fuckery, whatever. Uh, but Nagash is kind of like the real villain, and sometimes almost like an anti-hero, because he uh even from like what little I know that like i I know about Nagash, even though I'm not too familiar with fantasy or Age of Sigmar as a whole, that kind of like he's this ever-present um charismatic figure who has all of his, his fingers in all of the pots, you know? Like you can never really escape the clutches of Nagash. Uh, and, and Nagash is a necromancer. Uh, we we like for us that's kind of like a little bit standard, but Nagash is kind of the necromancer and almost death incarnate itself. Yeah, so Nagash's backstory
2: is sort of centered around um, the Tomb King's original uh, home of Nekahara, uh, when Nagash was this, this prince who was real, real evil sort of sociopath, Machiavellian caricature, very, very power hungry. Um, and then his story is all about him becoming this, this powerful necromancer and uh, accumulating more and more power uh, until he is eventually Eventually killed, destroyed by the uh, Council of Thirteen. Um, along the way, he has a lieutenant called Archon, who we'll be looking at in this book, um, who's sort of who is devoted to him. Um, one of Nagash has sort of this character characterization similar to a lot of like sort of prime evils. He showed up very briefly; and had a miniature in um, some of the earliest editions of Warhammer Fantasy. I love but that miniature; he, it's adorable. It is, it is hilarious. If you look up some images of that. And just picture that as your Nagash for the rest of the summary. Um,
0: He, um, but yeah, yeah. the the current one hundred and five U.S. dollar. uh, That's not my Nagash. Hashtag not my Nagash.
2: Yeah, yeah. The 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 current model is beautiful, but nothing like this old one. That's just. I mean, that's that's sculpting right there. Um, So yeah, Nagash is sort of. He died very early in the lore, and he never he rarely appeared again. But he'd appear a lot in like people were scared of, like, the end times would come because of Gash would come back, Gash, the great necromancer, he would show up in the, in the flavor text for, like, magic items and stuff.
1: Actually, that that's kind of one thing that um, Warhammer Fantasy and now Age of Sigmar has made it more explicit, has uh, to differentiate itself from 40k where in 40k, you kind of have the big bad, which is Chaos, which is complicated a little bit by various other Xenos factions like, um, like the Necrons or the Tyranids who are Supposed to be a kind of equal threat, but are much less present in the law. Whereas, especially what, what the end times kind of started and this continued on to AOS, is um, you kind of have your uh, your people who just want to have a normal life and could be considered the, the the people you want to root for, the good guys, whatever. Um, and opposed to that are both the forces of chaos, but also equally opposed are Nagash, um, this kind of ultimate um prescriber of order like his whole thing when you said nagash is all um that is kind of his goal he wants to like be the only living thing in existence everything to be in perfect order and by order it means everyone's dead
2: Mm. and in that sense he's kind of this like magical or fascist where he is he's reducing everyone to to absolute nothing um and if you look at that from that like philosophical standpoint it's really especially interesting to look at a lot of Warhammer Fantasy characters from that lens, because that's the sure. lens that Age of Sigmar
0: approaches them for. Yeah, no, uh, yeah that that was a beautiful summary of Nagash, and uh, kind of like I wound up like accidentally prepping for this book unintentionally. <laughs> uh, I I actually read uh, the Josh Reynolds, also uh, written by Josh Reynolds, the, the Soul War series, which has kind of now been this uh, the the cata- the cataclysm or kind of like this new era of Age of Sigmar for Age of Sigmar 2.0, very mm-hmm. specifically. And how all the things and everything kind of stems from Nagash, quite literally, just as he wants. Um, So I was able to kind of get like a primer of Archon, Manfred, and Neferata, and Nagash himself. And see this lens, uh, you know, now that they've been transferred to Age of Sigmar. And, uh, spoiler free, but it is interesting to see that how Reynolds keeps those relationships and their personality so consistent. Which I... they're so consistent and they're distinct too which i really 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 love and i think it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do as an author because like so many authors kind of have that problem where it's like uh you know like the character always suffers from author's voice you know like uh every woody allen protagonist sounds like woody allen or uh every <laughs> every white character in uh quentin tarantino movie sounds like quentin tarantino dropping n n words and uh feet fetish- fetishizing but uh yeah, uh, Reynolds, I think, does an excellent job of uh, characterizing Archon, Manfred, and Nagash. Less so Nagash, obviously, in Return of Nagash because, well, not to get too spoilers, but yeah, uh, not as featured as prominently in this. So we're here to talk about the End Times more specifically, which the the Josh Reynolds Return of Nagash book is the primer for uh, the very first book into that. So uh, Alex and Dawn, you approach this to me and Danny, who's unable to make it today because of a prior um plans so i'll let you uh don let's start with you so let's go spoiler free if somebody really wants to delve into the end times you know all they've ever heard are just like the end times ruined fantasy the end times killed fantasy um what would you kind of say to like course correct it or like what are the end times actually well there's definitely a reason that a
2: lot of people sort of react Really, really overtly negatively to the end times, and it's because it's a it's a really bizarre product, and it's a creative choice in the part of a corporation that you almost never see. Where usually, when something's not performing well, and it would, and it's designed to end it at the end times, is the the end of fantasy. Um, generally, corporations will just let it go into that deep sleep, let it cut it off, which is the it's the prescribed wisdom because the idea is that you won't, if you want to reboot it, which they eventually did. You're not going to keep as many old fans as you are going to make new ones. So decisions like this can seem uh, to to a creator to be very fulfilling because they it's like a new chance to to really get a final moment for all of these characters. But to fans it can be somewhat insulting because it feels like they're uh, really decidedly ending this. Like it was a creative choice to say no, your characters all going to die. So th- and that's why what the end times is. It's a, it's a sort of ending. Final Pyrrhic fire within which uh fantasy will be burned away and reborn like the phoenix mm-hmm. um, so all the all the car- all the factions rise up, all the end times prophecies come true all the uh the everyone has grand heroic sacrifices and uh humiliating defeats, and eventually yeah. <laughs>
1: many unceremonious ones as well I, I
0: <laughs> say, there are definitely some less than heroic deaths uh some of them featured in this novel <laughs> <laughs> and um this is it's
2: it's definitely a, a sort of messy thing because fantasy is a, is a monumental work it ran for for 30 years uh, with with um hundreds of authors and hun- hundreds of thousands of pieces of tiny minute media coming together to form this grand franchise and has to be ended in what is about 10 books <laughs> Um, there's really not that much to the end times in terms of volume, so uh, if you if you read it, you'll find that um, a, a lot of it is quite quick and like characters just sort of will appear on one page and it will be their final death. Uh, but it's it's a really interesting read um, as just like an exploration of how to how to end a, a real thing very
0: definitively something so massive. Mm. Yeah, and I I can definitely feel with um, especially when you have the these characters in the hand of an author who's did such a great job as Reynolds, these characters can feel <laughs> very real to you. I mean, like, as we like the, like, the, it can feel like the real death of a friend and stuff. I mean, like, I mean, I think certainly wouldn't be the first one saying like being genuinely moved by the death of these fictional characters. However, of course, where with led astray is the very unhealthy or the negative reaction that's kind of come from the end times. You know, it, it's one thing to be against the ending of something that you like, but it's very much another kind of this uh, hyperbolic, n- hyperbolic negative reaction, um, doom and gloom uh, in terms of what Age of Sigmar is and what the end times were. And Alex, I'm wondering if you could talk about that because I, I know you, of course, love your ninth, your ninth age keto memes. So I think you are the foremost expert on toxic reactions to the end times themselves.
1: Well, I think uh, Dawn covered a lot of it. Um. The problem is uh, the end times was not only uh, jarring for people who wanted to to love the, the tone of original fantasy, and obviously Age of Sigmar presented a very definite gear shift, especially in the early days when it was leaning really high into the uh, the mythic high fantasy a bit too much without really considering that you need some kind of context of what normalcy is before you start introducing the, you know, the Completely inconceivable realm spheres of magic where you can maybe fall off the fiery volcano world and what drift into space. But now that they've kind of more established what's both what, what the kind of place they're living are, in are and also what a baseline sort of level of normalcy that people live day to day now that has been kind of um, more thoroughly dealt with, uh, those concerns are less valid. The the end times are, are a definitely difficult thing to love on the face, especially if you're one of the if you're a fan of one of the factions that gets quite unceremoniously dispatched. Mm, which way both
0: are being the of other kingdoms. Yeah, there are there are quite a few mm. beloved factions that get squatted.
1: The campaign book of this, because um, the, the way they did this was they would release a campaign book, which is kind of like an overview of the plot, and then a novel which obviously the the one which is the better read but it's a bit more concentrated so in the case of this the novel covers like the first third and then the rest of it goes on and includes the the death of the two kings like that is just dealt with in this one book um, yeah. I and think I'm sure...
2: in terms of recommendations uh, I, would, I would definitely recommend even if you're just wanting to read the novel have a look at the campaign book you can get a PDF somewhere because it includes a lot of stuff that's like really interesting from just a perspective standpoint it has these nice breakdowns of each uh, faction's armies like it goes yeah. into the specific like Manfred's army has um, little names for each of the units and like flags mm-hmm. you can put on them and sure. uh,
0: that's really sort of fun little detail that pops up really on uh, I, I just had a I just had a question so um, it, it, okay let's say somebody's been a 40k head. Or, you know, maybe they're like, they've, they're they not interested, they, you know, they're interested in getting into the hobby, but 40k never struck them. Um, will this campaign book serve as a good primer for, like, if you don't know who Thor uh, Ungram <laughs> Iron Fist is, no. or, you know, yes, okay, <laughs> no, no. so that, so, uh, so I just, okay, yeah, that that's what I wanted to cover. Um, Especially from if they, if they intend to play
2: it as like a campaign, which, which I guess it is intended as a campaign book. Um a lot of the, the earliest stuff where it's like, here's the mechanics. It assumes you, one, own a ton of fantasy miniatures. Yes. And two, already really well know the rules of Warhammer Fantasy Eighth edition, because and then it's like, substitute this rule for this rule, substitute this rule for this rule, instead of using magic to this level, use it in this way. It's very in terms
1: of that. Yeah, let's re- remember that's part of the reason why uh, Warhammer Fantasy failed, was you needed like a ton of models to play because hordes were the only thing that you could really do.
0: So okay, so let, let's say you know somebody listens to this uh, review of the book that we say, and they say, "Hey, I'm interested in Warhammer Fantasy." You know, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to turn anyone to ninth ageers because uh, no, no, no ninth age. Um, ninth age is so funny to me. It's like
2: it's like this desire to return to the womb. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I just want Warhammer Fantasy to last forever,
0: and I'm just going to uh, I'm going to play the same army for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's so yeah. It'll be like I never grew up. It's basically like <laughs> Neverland with Peter Pan, yes. except with uh, much more uh, gamer words. <laughs> uh, okay, so if okay, so let's say you know I I you know it's Peter Forchan. I, I hear about Le- Leon Lonko, right? Like I hear about it, and I'm just kind of like, oh, who's that? You know, uh, his part in this book isn't um, very large. And how would I find out? What are some resources? Would you? Uh, I would imagine that, like the battle tomes, which I'm, I'm sure most of them you can find on PDF. Uh, remember,
1: Warhammer lore videos. Um, <laughs> no,
0: no, I can't, even, I can't even stand that as uh, one of your your joke <laughs> takes. Uh, I'm not even gonna <laughs> let that stand. Um, yeah, what are some good resources? Because uh, obviously, like we would love to go into each character in by depth. Because uh, some of these are like kind of great, wonderful characters. But what are some good resources for them if they want to just find out a little bit more about these
1: characters? I mean, just do play Total War because that's kind of where yeah. all the characters that we'll be dealing with in the coming book are still alive and well. <laughs> um, and it's but...
2: The plot of, uh, of of Total War, um, the, the big like combined campaign of Total War 1 and 2 is kind of a sort of truncated version of the end times that you can control the outcome
0: of, but that sort of plot of the great magic vortex and everything going out of control, that's mm-hmm. sort of t- uh, taken from the end times. Yeah, and the twin-tailed comet too, which is explicitly referenced in Return of Nagash, as well as the Total War games.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if, if you've played the first Total War game, you'll already be familiar with the characters that we'll be dealing with, um, which will be quite handy. Um, obviously, you know, there's like Lex and that kind of thing.
0: I mean, uh, the, uh, the thing is though, is that like, uh, like, obviously I love the total war Warhammer games. I've put in countless hours of them, but there is only so much you can kind of glean from them. I mean, like for like what most of the, the total war Reddit just knows about Carl Franz is summon the elector accounts and I do not, g- I give this my consent. Uh, so I, I don't know if those are 100% the best resources, um, for that, uh,
1: I just mean like as a setup, as a primer for this, Uh, there are plenty of actual novels set in the, uh, the old world. Um, Okay. Okay. The the better ones were like the, the Godric and Felix series and and that kind of Mm. thing. And as well, like uh, there's some good time of legends ones, like the, um, the three parter of Sigma and his original kind of, you know, stuff. And then also the, uh, the original Nagash trilogy, which goes into what we'll be discussing more. Like If you want to see uh, Arkhan back when he was a uh, slot machine demon.
0: Um, when he had than... some skin. Yeah, yeah. When he had some skin in I, the game, would you say? <laughs> I
2: definitely I don't recommend using uh, 1D4chan if you want to uh, learn about it, or using lore videos, partially because they have a lot of unmarked spoilers, but also because they come in with a, like a very specific viewpoint that can kind of taint your more objective understanding of what the, what the novels are about. One resource I really like looking at because you can get them really easily as a PDF from a lot of online resources are the the sixth edition rule sets, uh, like core books, because unlike the eighth edition ones, they contain a lot more lore and they sort of go in for a very basic understanding of what the factions do, and a lot of the lore hasn't cha-
0: not changed since six to the end time. Okay, uh, fair enough. Um, so before we get so so obviously like this kind of like this little. You know, brief thing about the end times, uh, this kind of like much reviled thing. And, well, as to me, like as somebody uh, kind of like, I'm an outsider looking into this. Um, so let's, uh, that's kind of our summary. Uh, check out those wonderful resources Dawn and Alex just recommended. Uh, I'll I'll be sure to check out them myself because I found myself like loving a lot of these characters. I guess it's somewhat of a spoiler of my opinion of the book, but I'm okay giving that spoiler. So let's talk about Return of the Gash. So... Um, So we just kind of had the summary is not, I guess that's not too big of a spoiler is the idea is just to get Nagash into the realm of the living. So that is kind of like the big, the big, 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 big picture without getting into characters, details, uh, happenstance, that sort of stuff. The big thing is we're trying, the daemons are coming through the warp. Uh, They're attacking this, the old world, as we now refer to it, as we know it, Uh, characters are dying. Grand heroic entrances are happening. The end times are in full effect. So, with give me so for your spoiler-free thoughts, would you recommend this? Who would you recommend it to, and why? Uh, Return of Nagash. Don, as the guest of the hour, um, how how do you feel about Return of the the Nagash? Would you recommend it? Uh, I definitely would recommend it. Um, Probably not to someone who's, who's
2: really, really new to really new to Warhammer in general, but definitely to someone who's either interested who either is interested in age of sigmar lore uh especially or really likes the design of a lot of the um legions of legion of gash models and wants to know more about them or someone who has already enjoyed a lot of fantasy i definitely think it's a really good introductory introduction to sort of warhammer fantasy novels in general because it's really high quality alex
1: yeah, ironically, it, as like the beginning of the end, it, it does serve as a good intro um, for Age of Sigma novels that deal with similar characters of Nagash and, and Narcan and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I thought it was uh, really good. Well, I, I say that. I'm a big fan of um, Josh Reynolds as an author. Um I think he's written my favourite of the uh, Age of Sigmar, maybe my favourite Black Library book, which is uh, Undying King, which I hope we can cover at some point in the podcast. And this book actually serves as a good primer for that, as it kind of is the gash in the, the realms, the mortal realms. Um, but the quality of this book is a little bit undercut by the what's clearly like corporate mandates and the pressure to tie into this campaign book and include various kind of races so no one feels shortchanged. And so there is a there is an excess of exposition and shoehorning extra subplots which perhaps wouldn't belong in a better structured book. I would say the writing quality is pretty much in the conversation with uh, Abnett's Horace rising in terms of characterization and that kind of thing but the slightly problematic plotting means that it's definitely not Josh's best and it kind of is like maybe more in the quality conversation of the previous two uh, that we've covered, Horus Heresy Books, False Gods and Galaxy in Flames, though I do prefer this to either of those books.
2: I definitely think it's worth talking about slightly, just very briefly, about the way the End Times was distributed. Each of the books are numbered, uh, so you, if you were a fan of Warhammer and you really wanted to play the End Times, you can't kind of have to buy all of them but also they're focused on specific factions. So the way they're structured is they have like a, a protagonist perspective faction, but they also have to deal with basically every other faction in some way. So that if you play goblins and you have to buy Nagash and Glutkin, you still have stuff to do.
1: Yeah. So it's like this is especially bad in the well, I say bad. It's especially pronounced in the campaign book. So in that there is like this whole random scene where they're kind of shoehorned in. Um, Some squigs that ambush Neferata. She just like walks into the ambush like a complete dolt and then <laughs> she kind of has fast. to get bailed out. Uh, so and that's definitely,
2: yeah, the campaign book, the second half that isn't adapted into the novel is rife with just battle after battle after battle.
0: Uh, as this being one of only like a few of the fantasy novels, as I said, I read um, Josh Reynolds' Soul Wars prior to this, which would be out of order of kind of <laughs> the way things are going, since it's obviously Age of Sigmar. But I feel like it kind of prepared me uh, a little bit for just kind of like who these characters are, who, which I sh- what should I expect of them, um, their personalities and stuff. But uh, I got to say, I, I really like this book, uh, even as somebody in 40K. Um, I think the characterization of this book is incredibly strong. Uh, I think Manfred and Archon... Uh, even, like, side characters like Arakan, like, I think that they're v- very well developed. Obviously, Manfred and Archon are the highlights. Um, I think that they're yeah, they are they a are very good, they're a great odd couple. Uh, uh, Netflix, please make a rom-com of them. Uh, you know, give, give GW a call. Uh, yeah, fuck Eisenhorn. Uh, I want an Archon and Manfred uh, odd couple show.
1: It is kind of great how that um, that Mortark box from which you can build Archon, Neferata, or Manfred, like, Contained in that box is more complex kind of character personalities and like pretty much the entire stable of primarchs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oof, oof, uh, them's fighting words, but they are it, indeed. <laughs> it, it, it hurts, but it hurts, but it's true. Uh, so yeah, um, I yeah, that the the first part, which we'll get into more detail later, that first part is rough. So if the first part one is a lot of exposition. It's a lot of stuff with characters who not everything really pays off in the novel because they have to be paid off in the campaign book of their own very specific end times book. And it's pretty, you're just kind of like, we're treading a lot of water here. And it hurts. It, it's, it's painful. And it's, it's especially yikes because you obviously don't want your part one to be your weakest part of a novel. Uh, you know that's usually in uh, in your literary writing classes it's usually like uh your fir- your first part should be pretty good, uh, probably not your weakest part.
1: Um uh, I would maybe push back a bit on that. I don't think part 1 is entirely bad. There's actually quite a lot no, of things I, I, I really like about it. It's just like it's literally the prologue. Like that bit is is horrible.
0: But it's not just it's not just the prologue. There's also like a lot of cutting to various characters so I I won't get to like that kind of like there's not pay off for and stuff like that but but yes she we get into
1: it then um
2: i do think a lot of that a lot of that um exposition in the prologue because it has to be pre- uh, presented in the first person by manfred it might it also smacks of that like uh, executive meddling because that sort of prologue also appears in the campaign book but it's just like uh it's an individual story with each faction from their perspective so you get a little uh there's like a dark elves conversation where where uh like uh, Malika skins a guy alive for getting his map wrong, and there's like a council of thirteen one, and it's like but it's it's it makes a lot more sense as the beginning of the whole novel rather than being specific to Manfred, so that feels like something has to, to be in
0: it, yeah we yeah, we obviously want to get uh, talk about more <laughs> the specifics of this book um. So uh, I, I would still recommend this book. Um, obviously, like the, the first part is rough, which is always like a scary thing. Majority of part one is good. The majority of part one is still good, uh, but it is the weakest part of the book. Uh, but the rest of it is great. Um, excellent, excellent character work by Josh Reynolds. Uh, I look forward to reading the Nagash and Dying King after this, because uh, so far for me, he's two for two between Soul Wars and um, Return of Nagash. So please check out this book. Alrighty, um, so now we're gonna move on to spoilers. If you don't want any spoilers, please stop listening now and come back to this part after you have read the novel. Uh, we are we are not gonna be shy. Uh, Dawn least especially, uh, <laughs> I imagine. Uh, but that's why we love her. Um, so so let's get into part one. Uh, Alex, um, you you have the best record of summarizing without. Sounding like an idiot, as in me, um, so which I am currently in last place for because I cannot summarize without getting several uh plot details wrong. So, Alex, let's uh let's get started at the beginning of uh part one and kind of that in, what that infamous blood pool scene that very <laughs> yeah. infamous blood pool <laughs> scene. And I, I really wish my blood was um told me that much and gave me that (laughs) much exposition like I could just be like oh wow like I don't even have to check Twitter and go on that hell website I can just like uh, prick my finger and I can see every single important thing that happened
1: yeah mate I mean if I could stream Netflix like he can with my blood then um (laughs) the bets would be off um you know he get to you know it was like the press trailer scene from uh batman versus superman but it lasted for about 15 more minutes um but <laughs> uh, so i think we, it, it, feel, it felt like two hours <laughs> yeah so it's part, like which you could definitely do if you're reading so um The idea is uh, Manfred von Karstein calls his uh, undead king from around the old world to assemble. So he's seeded from the empire by encircling Sylvania in a giant wall of bone, which the empire then responds with a magic barrier, the wall of faith, which means that when the undead enter, they also can't leave. Um, So his his core is heeded by various vampires. Um, You've got Ereken, the crow-themed, Who's fresh from surviving a failed undead uprising in Bretonia, which is mm-hmm. claimed as mentor, and he reunites with uh, Elise, the vampire he originally turned him. Um, you've also got, uh, like, the Erican replacement, uh, which is, as she puts it, her blood son, lover, and champion. So, you know, nothing eatable there. Um, mm-hmm. Anarch. <laughs> and then you've got um, uh, Marcos, who's like an ambitious schemer, and various other von Karstens. And can I just say, like, the scene between. Eric and, and his dying mentor um was just it, it was it partly cuz it came off the uh, ponderous Manfred watches trailers for various faction scene but it was, it was really charming Tra- and trailers from hell manfred yeah, edition and yeah. times edition but did, Sorry, did you guys but, not find that 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 scene kind of really charming and no, um, humanizing
0: <laughs> no that was a very good scene uh i I'll, I'll let you take this first before i get my thoughts yeah, it's ironically humanising for vampires.
1: But yeah, it's um,
2: all the characterization from this, from this early part. It's excellent. It's pretty good. Um, and it's again, it's such a shame that a lot of these side characters that are, get a little more play in Rise of the Cash don't show up in the game book and don't show up in the rest of the empires, pretty much at
1: all. Um, yeah, we need to find yeah. out, like, spoilers. Um, Elise and Erekin are characters who play a decent role in this novel. We don't really find out what happens to them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, this—I—I don't think you need to put a spoiler on that because we're already in spoilers. (laughs) So, yeah.
1: But but, I mean, we we, like without me wishing to say, as you could guess, like there's a lot of um. Things dying and then coming back to life in this. Um, but uh, speaking of which, uh, you've got Manfred, who is haunted by the voice of his father Vlad, who he's kind of betrayed. He's like constantly always kind, <laughs> kind of betrayed.
0: Yeah, little, Manfred, only, Ma- Ma- Manfred only betrays a little, but you know that's always my problem with Manfred. He never betrays. He never goes the whole way with his betrayal. He doesn't
2: commit. He's, he doesn't, he's a slacker. Millennial vampire.
0: Uh, <laughs> vampires these days. Oh, back back several. Uh, several millennia, we would have slapped the vampire for saying such a thing. Back in my day, we turned thirty peasants before breakfast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna just out dawn and I're just gonna dunk on uh, your your choice of wording, Alex. So enjoy that.
1: <laughs> okay, I um, will revise my statement and say uh, Manfred a little betrayed. I mean, he did nothing wrong. Really, he was just he was just kind of following his instincts, and that is kind of true throughout the book. Where it's like vampires are always seeking to better their station and like it's quite the fact that they are both simultaneously relatable characters but also quite puerile and ambitious means that what we're really dealing with are people who essentially when they get the blood kiss get magic powers but also their mindset returns to being a teenager and that's kind of fun, <laughs> and relatable nice. Um, but yeah, so uh, Manfred is seeking to resurrect Nagash, um, and for which he's procured various prisoners, including the Grand Theogenist uh, Volkmar and also the Everchild Aliathra, uh, who will become sort of important later, um, though I don't think that's quite paid off in a way that makes as much sense in this book as in the mm-hmm. campaign book. Um, yeah, I was a bit lost speaking on that. Of, um...
2: Speaking of vampires returning to teenagerhood, nothing is more high school than the elves in this book.
1: Oh, oh yes. I know absolutely that that is the case. Um, You can tell that Josh doesn't have as much fun writing them because they're just less...
0: They're played so fucking straight. I hated the elves. Yeah, they I I hated the elves so fucking. Much. I like the book. I hated every time we cut to <laughs> elves of Tyrion, Teclis, and Eltharion. Also named the Grim because everything in the fantasy is named the Grim, the Great, yeah. the <laughs> Wise. Uh, you know, we, we we can't have too many uh cho- choices of titles. Um, uh, yeah, the, the less said about the elves, the better. And uh, but though unfortunately, they are kind of necessary to the plot.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and like, part of the various kind of plots that jump around, um, it, one of which is um, the is Tyrion, uh, well, more specifically, Eltharian and a few others are assembling to rescue Aliathra, which we'll get to later. But um, also, as this is happening, Arkan the Black, who is the faithful servant of Nagash, um, travels to Sylvania after the botched uh, Britonian revolt, and um, like... He, he and Manfred come to an understanding that they share the goal of Nagash's resurrection so they might as well work together um, and so they sabotage the wall of faith um, but like while Arkhan is, is he spurred by the desire to serve Nagash in the hopes of being granted eternal rest like he kind of wants to die um, and just be at peace. Manfred wants to control Nagash. Which good luck yeah, there.
0: Yeah, like usurp- like usurping Nagash himself to be like to be what Nagash wants to be, this Lord of Death, this Lord of everything. Yeah, it's that's his, his ultimate goal, and that's that's his goal in the.
2: And it's it's spelled out more clearly in the campaign book that Nagash literally wants to become to ascend to the the realm of of, of uh, metaphysics, kill yeah. the chaos gods, and become. The, and just usher in pure undeath, Yeah, that's that, that, an ever-tyrant.
0: Yeah, and and that's really covered well in the Soul Wars, where, like, actually, like, the whole prologue of Soul Wars basically kind of summarizes that really well. Obviously, it's a different book, but that's, that's like, where I was able to get informed by that, so that might be a little confusing for some people when it comes to Nagash.
1: I mean, what's more confusing is that um, apparently Manfred has his little vision board about He's gonna be the the boss of everything. He's gonna roll over and gash his his humble servant, um, which feels like possibly not the most realistic end goal in the world. Like it is kind of like um, it is basically Czechoslovakia trying to invade the United States. Um, it's it's, it's not quite the, the most grounded ambition you could ever think of. He's got
2: it yeah. written on the back of his hand. It's just step one: resurrecting the gas. Step two: question mark, question mark, question mark. Step
0: three: Lord prophet. of the Yeah, <laughs> uh, profit.
1: Uh, yeah. Also, uh, Ar- Arkan has a cat now. What did everyone think about Arkan's cat? Who, right. in, coincident, incidentally, I looked on the uh, the Goodreads page for Josh Reynolds, and I would say like a good seventy percent of the questions were just what happened to Arkan's cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, It's the gash's cat now okay yeah well, do, a... you, do you want do you want to know his theory about it um what, what, how he answered he answers that the, the cat the cat is supposed to be nagash and um like that's where the the, the golfer is kind of like sore resides so every time the cat like gives someone the stink eye the idea is, is like, oh they're, they're in, in for trouble later yeah <laughs> uh
0: one of the one of the things that's kind of the themes that's always played out with Archon, Uh, That I've always really enjoyed is the the question of that you the reader left with and Archon himself is how much is Archon Archon? um, How much is Archon Nagash? And if this is Archon like how much of it's just kind of like the musings and remembrances of what Nagash remembers of Archon Um, I I was kind of like the going on to the humanity of Archon which is kind of a funny thing to say about a a s- skeletal necromancer slash lich. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I always yeah I always love um, Archon a lot. Uh, the, he's he's the perfect straight man uh, because one, his face is literally uh, illegible uh, because it's a skeleton. <laughs> so so he's literally the perfect straight man. Like 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 if Shakespeare were to do like a Last Poor York, Archon would just you know you know just give him a shrug of his shoulders. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's good. Uh, Manfred is like a a pet, uh, like an overpowered, petulant man child. is wonderful and is a uh, good good representation of the fans, the ninth age fans. You know, <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. I mean, they always like to joke about Manfred as fail son, but really, um, ninth age ninth agers, if you're listening to this, look at Manfred. Now look at you, Look at Manfred. Now look back at you. I think there's a little bit more in common than you care for. And I, uh, I let thought me tell you're you were
1: going to Old Spice ad. Well, that... <laughs> now I'm on a zombie horse.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the, now I'm on a zombie horse. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, now that
1: Alex ruined my joke. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah no. You've done enough to me. So, <laughs> Fair dues. Fair dues. Um,
0: uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, Manfred is wonderful. One Manfred is wonderfully pathetic, even though he's like, got the powers of like a, of a demigod basically. He's still uh, amazingly pathetic in every scene he is. Uh just like the constant self questioning, the hearing of Vladvarn Connerstein's uh voice in his head, the self-doubt. Um it makes him like really relatable. Like even though he is like all powerful well, not all powerful, but pretty powerful. And yeah, I think it makes
1: the him vamp- he's a vampire Ross from Friends. He's Ross Ferratu. Yes,
0: he is <laughs> uh I'm sorry, I I, I totally went over there. Uh Dawn uh, Thoughts on part one. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I think I somebody else
2: thoughts earlier, but I think part one's really strong has a really poor start, but then, um, yeah, Manfred and uh, Archon's really early dynamic is really really strong, especially before they sort of divide apart a bit uh, early in part two. Um, and I think, like, while the the short, short conversations with the other characters, with the elves and the humans, not quite as strong as as the characterization. No. And, uh, <laughs>
0: Dialogue with the with the undead. I think it's still Ooh.
2: it's still fine. It leads to like a nice world.
0: Yeah, fine is uh, acceptable. Is definitely <laughs> how I would uh, uh, how I would call that. Um, so yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say the one thing um, that I was I was worried about in Alex. You uh, you remember this? Uh, remember like with the introduction of Arakan when he, like he. Um, he, he she's Eliza for the thing, and he's kind of like oh, looking yeah, at her. yeah, wife. we can
1: talk about this. Yeah,
0: yeah, the the sexualization stuff, and I was like, oh no, we're having a Graham McNeil moment.
1: <laughs> well, so th- th- I think this is worth bringing up, right the The character arc be- between Erican and Elise is is one that is actually fairly interesting. So Erican is kind of like is is later revealed he's more in the Arcan camp of he wants to be free and by free he means he kind of wants to be at peace he doesn't want to be this puppet for eternity he kind of wants things to end whilst Elise is all about like the the stagnation side or of vampirism. she kind of wants to play her games for eternity um and that kind of manifests itself in the way that like she's a overly controlling ex and i I can sort of understand how someone might read into that. Um, yeah, I was curious what you've kind of felt about that plot point.
2: Yeah, um, I think the the relationship and the sort of romance is is kind of interesting, especially it goes into like the the actual mechanics of being a vampire and being ageless. But I I didn't it didn't really land for me, especially I I found myself sort of glazing over at those bits because again, Arkan and Manfred just I felt were such
0: stronger characters. Mm. Uh, I th- that's, yeah, I definitely see that.
1: Uh, I did sort of... Yeah, I did like the, the Erican plot, and I was invested, but I also understand why the... And, and Reynolds does generally have a lot of prominent female characters. This book, perhaps less so, because the established ones that we kind of have to deal with, of Nagash, Manfred Arkhan, and various kind of Bretonian lords, blah, 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 tend to all be male. So he's kind of a little bit settled with that, but at the same time, the, the female character that he introduces... Like her, her arc is basically being very controlling of her ex-boyfriend. Um,
2: I definitely wish that Neferata had been introduced earlier. Yes. Because even um, though she has a very brief and very stupid appearance in the uh, campaign book, it's still, I think, a stronger characterization and a stronger co- uh, contrast and dynamic with uh, Krell mm-hmm. and Manfred and Arkhan and Nagash than uh elise and eric Han and anark and uh marco do
1: well she yeah. she definitely worked well in in later books that um that reynolds has, has dealt with her i think um yeah uh, i think
0: it, i i think our, eric Han, um he works well because he's sort of your classic like hero with a thousand faces the kind of like newcomer where he's new to this world. He's obviously not new to being a vampire, but he's new to kind of like this inner the inner uh, necropolis politics of, you know, Manfred Archon, uh, all the other vampires sort of stuff. So he is kind of like that a a useful blank slate which makes that he himself is not a very interesting character but his perspective is useful.
1: I might push back on that a bit because I like how he's different from, (laughs) he's not like other vampires, guys. (laughs) How he, he kind of like
0: yeah, he, he wears bright pinks. So, you know, he's not about those like ghastly blacks and stuff like that. He he's he's a very colourful. He's a modern vampire.
1: But this this is getting more into part two stuff. But I might as well say it here because it's relevant. Um, I might just uh, throw you a quote, which was him and and Arkan kind of like having, buddies bonding moment where, um, he it's just a really good quote that I might as well read out. And so. From the moment I was born, it was a loveless life. I lived out of spite, and it wasn't enough. So I turned into something worse than death, and tried to take from the world until there was nothing left to take. But the world was bigger than I thought. I am tired of surviving. I am tired of the world. I want an end, and I want to watch it all fall into the grave with me. I don't want fire. I want ash and silence. I want night, silent and eternal, stretching from pole to pole, heaven to earth. Which is definitely Doom a lifestyle. Like, he's he's full nihilist. Um. more kind of like actual nihilist than rick and Morty nihilist
2: (laughs) and do we think that this like this focus on the part of arkhan and uh, Erikan on like nihilism and this desire to for ending uh reflects that it's the end times that this the, the corporate desire to to, fit, to end off the
1: set. It's, it's funny, here yeah, because like, a lot of people during the end times talk about how the world is going to end. And the funny thing is um, n- most of the people reading these books didn't believe that until it happened. Um, so yeah. in retrospect, you find out that it's a slightly pessimistic reading that all of these accelerationists and the people saying we're all doomed turned out to be correct, which I mm. guess you could... Read into as a environmental and kind yeah. of, thing. and it
2: also seems like maybe sort of like a like a primer. Like it knows that maybe you're not uh, totally invested in your world being in this uh, setting being destroyed yet. But we're going to sort of ease you into that by introducing this worldview that we've we've had enough time. It's over. We've you have had eight eight editions of 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 lore and lore and lore, and we're just going to end it. It's over. We want that, that just this clean, this clean light
0: from just heaven. A break, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I just want to briefly talk about that before we go into part two. I was actually looking up reviews of this book. It is interesting how many people were praising this book and the campaign book because a lot of people were talking about how this is like the shot in the arm that Warhammer Fantasy is needed for all this time. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm so excited for more Warhammer Fantasy. I can't wait to see where it goes. Oh, that, that brought some some tears of laughter to my eyes. Uh, salty, salty tears. Part two, Alex, summary.
1: Yeah, so these are kind of the, the quests of the Nagash MacGuffins. Um You kind of have the split, so Arcan returns to bretonia to have another punt um, with Erokan and um, Anarch. The sort of Erokan's kind of like sort of sexual rival in a weird, eatable sense. Um, but yeah, so Arkhan yeah. is whittled down by Bretonnia de- inv- defenders. But mostly they're being baited um by and it's kind of redirected by the real threat, Malgor, which is like a beastman leader um and this is part of the story where it really kind of goes into how chaos hates Nagash, and they're they're the ones that will even work kind of try and use the the forces of like um of order, so to speak, so that's like Bretonia, the Empire, of the elves, to their advantage to defeat Nagash um and so. They they are very keen on getting this Nagash reboot from uh, from happening, which made me think like kind of remi- if, if maybe they were misinformed like they're internet trolls and people told them that the Nagash <laughs> reboot would have more female characters, so they're desperate to stop it. Um, God, but, damn it. <laughs> God damn it! But generally, um, yeah. So the the, the beastmen are kind of whittling them down, and so Arkhan becomes reliant on his. I put this in massive square quotes. Ally uh, Heinrich Kemler to support him on the attack. Um, so Kemler, who is, you can kind of guess who he's named after by the name Heinrich Kemler. <laughs>
0: no, it's so subtle. Uh, who is it based <laughs> nice yeah. off <enough> of?
1: No. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, he
1: he then falls to chaos, um, uh, temptation of of the power there, and battles Arkan, but who prevails? Um, can I just say
2: for yeah. just briefly about this is absolutely my favorite decision of the whole book is to have um, not only Kemler be the first character that dies, but also have him corrupted by chaos. I think it's so... Uh, it's such a like good raising of the stakes, because Kemler was actually the first Warhammer Fantasy character ever introduced as a model. Um, I didn't know so, that, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, Having him be the first to die, but not just the first to, to die in the whole setting, in the whole end times, but also to have him die by switching factions, like becoming chaos, completely, um, uh, sort of out of um, as a surprise. It's really, really interesting. It really raises the stakes. Shows that this is this is going to happen, and that's a decision that will be reflected in the rest of the end times. Where you see a lot of faction switching, uh, characters sort of making desperate alliances, like Cameron's alliance with Chaos, and also. Just character death, and this from the start establishes that no one is safe, not even the oldest, most venerated characters.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, there's an interesting little bit that, like, uh, some of the characters, like Leon Lurkour, uh, like the king of a Bretonnia, like he's like he's literally taken off as just like a little side thing in the uh, the pool of blood. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, there's, there are off-screen deaths, and and that's kind of the anti-climactic. There's
0: a, there's a lot uh, of off-screen mm. deaths. And most of them yeah. were done in that uh, the blood pool scene. Uh, there's no reason to go through all of them, but I I, I, I was surprised, as, you know, as familiar with Total War and stuff, just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember this general is just like dead.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the big influence that's kind of hanging over this is um, Game of Thrones. Like the end times were written mm-hmm. at around peak Game of Thrones, kind of both quality, though not quite yet totally colonizable pop culture. So you've got the same kind of willingness to kill off characters. You've got lots of walls in it, um, for some reason. <laughs> like the first book is is, you've got about four different walls with different uh like uses and, and plot significance in various places. Um, yeah,
0: this yeah, this was before the time where uh, we would have had somebody make a horrible uh, make make Nagash great again joke in there. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy that this book is oh, yes, pre pre 2016 with all the reference to walls and such. It was, yeah. it was a different era.
1: Um, yeah, so uh, basically uh, Arkan prevails in getting the artifact he needed um, and this is where he kind of bonds with Erekin um, after his rival Anarch so lots of con- confusingly similar names tries to kill Arkan. It turns out Elise is scheming because she kind of realises better than Manfred what Nagash Rising would mean and so she's kind of trying to um fuck that up. So that also manifests when she's kind of goaded the other um ambitious um vampire of um Marcos to sabotage Manfred after he he basically gets the um the fell blade from the Skaven as the other artifact. Mm-hmm. And then that the vampire isn't to rebel against Manfred there but is dispatched um pretty easily. Um it, <laughs> Obviously, there's not much in terms of plot significance that goes on in the, the, the kind of the alternating uh, battles. Um, so the the Manfred side, especially with the Skaven, but who enjoyed the the writing we do get of the some Skaven. Fun
2: Skaven character moments? Those
1: are great. Yeah, oh, so many. <laughs> I, I I love that he's got this vocal tick that separates him even from other Skaven, where he's constantly clarifying himself, like Snickrat <laughs> the Magnificent.
0: Uh, well, while well, Alex is trying to find that quote, uh, Don uh, th- thoughts and feelings on part two. I think part two is is
2: one of the stronger parts of the book. It has a lot of a lot of fun action, but also uh, sort of raises the stakes. We get to see the characters in fighting. We get to see a lot of um, sort of the politics come to a real heat. And I think this is definitely when the book really comes into its own with, uh, especially yeah, the the combat and the the death and the the fighting. Very very Game of Thrones, uh, as he said. Um, And, yeah, I think the Game of Thrones is a really good analogy for a lot of the end times where it's like this is kind of as if this is the tone that Warhammer Fantasy would have had all along if they had the ability to
1: just kill off characters like that. Mm -hmm. Also, I found the quote, which is, uh, Snickrat the Magnificent commands you in his most commanding and authoritative manner to die, by which he means die again and thus to stop moving. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I fucking love the Skaven Skaven <laughs> the are, are a lot of fun and I'm, I, I think
2: a lot of people are very salty that they get a lot of play in the end times in basically every book but I think it's fine;
0: it's very very fun People complain about more Skaven? Oh, they need to die-die well,
1: Actually, w- one more important um, kind of observation from the, the second part Unless it's Skaven is...
0: related I'm not interested It's, it's not
1: Skaven related, it's horse related So what I wrote what I like about uh, Josh Reynolds as a way of doing things is he decided to approach this book with the philosophy that horses can be kind of dumb. So all flat <laughs> horses, which are supposed to be like these super smart majestic beasts, like one of them's eating out of an empty bucket, and how the bretons are complaining about Pegasus shitting everywhere and being smelly and yucky and disgusting. <laughs> so I just got to say that um, sad horse show that's over. It's all about the dumb horse book. <laughs>
2: I think, um, actually, there's a really funny thing about horses in Warhammer where they've always had a really weird sort of uh, energy in the lore, especially in, in Storm of Chaos, which we didn't mention, but Storm of Chaos was the, the, the previous ending of Warhammer 8th Edition before the End Times came out and sort of retconned a bit of it. But there's a moment in that where, uh, because it was written based on um, player, player battles, Volton and Archaon sort of walk out and fight in the middle of the field and they both manage to kill each other's horses and then they just run away. <laughs> uh, and that's absolutely my funniest Warner Battle, of Fantasy Battles, like that moment, is <laughs>
0: just that image. Uh yeah. Uh, I, w- I was I wasn't too familiar with uh Heinrich Kemmler, but he's a like most of these characters are evil or uh, some shades of evil. Uh but Kemmler is kind of like a a very fun kind of evil where he's just unambiguously evil sort of deal. And Alex and I were kind of discussing this and like, this is the idea that we would have wanted Erebus to have been to cut back a little bit, only briefly to the horse. Mm-hmm. Well, like
1: very, with, very, with Erebus, I was saying either have him someone like Kemler, where he's patently evil, but his motivation is more clear. Cause like you're, you're reading the Horus Heresy books and you're like, why is Erebus even doing all this shit? It's just, I even read, um, the first heretic. And I was like, oh, finally we'll explain what Erebus is doing all this time. And I was like, no, he's still just like completely I- impenetrable there as well. He's or a have him like yeah, or mm. have him like Manfred, who is kind of in a way becomes the Erebus of the end times as we'll get further into the the, the novels. But like his motivations are both like complex enough that he's interesting, but mm. also sort of on the face and he's not very good at hiding them. Um mm.
2: I've always adored just like comically evil panto villains. I like think there's absolutely not enough of them just in media in general, because people tend to like think that oh, they 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 be, they're kind of not really, they're not useful in this modern era. But then in especially in fantasy, I think they're essential. You have to have some type of character who's just power hungry, because that is the personality that exists in real life.
1: Well, it it does sort of um that is quite well showcased in your country's choice of prime minister. <laughs> Uh, plural, right. I should say, prime ministers. <laughs> yes, prime uh, ministers, I, yeah.
0: I, I was like, I was like, uh, okay, yeah. It's like, go on, huh? uh, all right. Anyways, yeah, uh, so part, part three.
1: That's yeah, that's yeah. kind of the shortest one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Part part part, part two is good. Uh, Kemler and Krell and all those things are great. Um, it's an it, uh, obviously I don't really have much history with Kemler, so but it was fun. He's he's a very fun character, and again, um, I think Reynolds' characterization of all these, of all these like well known. Uh, I want to say, pillars of Warhammer Fantasy is great. Um, He's excellent with characters; like you can learn so much about with a character who they are. You can kind of get a feel for their motivations without them like explicitly explaining it. And the other thing that uh, this was also in part one, but uh, Reynolds' attention to detail, his attention to the way things smell, kind of like the grime and grit of the Warhammer Fantasy world, it's beautiful. Like it's it's kind of like this. disaster piece sort of deal that the way he like pays attention to like the the grit on somebody's nails or like the the, the dried blood on a cauldron as it's starting to ferment um <laughs> I just kind of notices like all these characters and all these places that really makes them feel alive because like uh, like obviously like you could you can do like plays and stuff where it's just like characters talking to each other but I, I think reynolds does an job of building the world of Warhammer fantasy and making it almost instantly visualized instantly familiar in uh to somebody immediately upon reading it yeah i definitely think the warhammer fantasy being
2: like a grimy really really dark dirty fantasy where all the peasants actually have to like scoop through the dirt is really really uh it, it gives it a flavor that
0: a lot of fantasy doesn't yeah uh, I, I just wanted to briefly mention that um sorry alex for de- derailing your uh, part three so let's get into part three
1: no, it's fine. I mean, like, part three is, is also the shortest, and it should be said that that, that kind of um, follows through with, like, many characters throughout the book. Well, I should say many, a few. You see characters being made into vampires, so it just happens, like, when Manfred uh, goes into the border princess and he gives, like, someone this pragmatic decision, you, you can either um, let me kill you and I'll turn you undead, and you'll be my servant, or you can be a vampire and we can hang out and have fun and, and, and drink cool blood together and, and kick back. And so it's like, yeah, this is probably the best the situation of of the lot. and And so it ends with a border prince kind of turning to the vampire and being, and then kind of embracing the life. and it feels like whilst vampires are mainly like a, a metaphor for for bourgeois kind of um consumption and and like the oppression of the working class, which is definitely definitely carries through in 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 this in terms of the theme. It's weirdly also like turning to necromancy. Is often seen as like a reaction to, to alienation from some working class people. Like Erekan is gets fucked over by British <laughs> nobles, basically, and so he like he 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 basically carves out an existence as much as he can after like his his uh, Gaul tribe is burnt by by the various knights. Um, so yeah, like the the relatability of vampires kind of extends even to that. But yeah, so I I kind of that's going also with your uh, point about the relatability and the, the mundanity even of just being a vampire.
2: I definitely think that um, the sort of vampires as bourgeois doesn't really work in Warhammer because so many of the factions have that intense hierarchy. Like it's, it's so more open about portraying how fundamentally evil and exploitative stuff like the Bretonian monarchy or the the ogres over tyrant system or the Orcs, <laughs> survival of the fittest is, but it doesn't really need the vampires as
0: metaphor for controlling overlords because it has that in red. Yeah, uh, yeah the, uh, <laughs> not to get too off topic, but uh, how little the bretonians think about peasants. It's it's like one of the it's like the wonderful mix of comical and realistically dark that you know, I always really want from like the Games Workshop settings. That that that's sort <laughs> of like a tongue firmly in cheek. You know, blood oozing from the te- from your teeth—kind of uh, dark satire.
1: Well, you you even have that in the book, like in the um yeah. the battle against uh the the vampire cants with with the Britonians. Like you have, yeah, you you have one of the defenders just like. Treating them like a piece of shit and dirt. It's like, <laughs> and I
0: still <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it again. <laughs>
1: and ironically, the Gauls are treated with more kindness and respect by the vampires than the peasants are by the Bretonians. Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's true because, like, man, I, like there's even like, man, like you get like little thought, shot uh, things that the Manfred. He's just kind of like he's like, well, you know, the the flesh eating ghouls are you know eating up the place, but he's like, I just wish they were a little bit more thankful for me letting them crash in my castle. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's not, he's not like, he's not like, oh, they're so below me. He's just like, I wish they were a little bit nicer to me. Um, going on to Manfred's, uh, just kind of being like a natural born loser sort of deal. <laughs>
1: yeah okay so let's let's actually get into part three and the i think the conclusion is where most of the yeah nagash must arise is where most of the conversation will be but basically manfred readies his ritual and actually the the first chapter of part three is a return to exposition central where he basically outlines (laughs) all the various people that are currently in sylvania looking to bash his head in um so there's like the at least that was useful
0: exposition yeah, so Ooh. you've
1: got like the human elf alliance, which is expositioning to save uh, um, the other child. You've got Malagor's horde. You've got dwarves and blah, blah, blah. Um, Manfred basically copies Malagor's troll tactics, uh, but uses them on him to pull him and the dwarves out of commission. It's, it's kind of funny when, when Malagor realizes it's like, oh, fuck, I, I, <laughs> these people are just going to get baited in. And the dark gods kind of like uh, communicate their telepathic displeasure. And then he gets, like, really kind of insecure and worried, so he just decides to join in the fight to take his mind off it. Um, you know, a, a bit of self-care, I guess. Um,
0: <laughs> Listen, even, even in the, the the grim fantasy universe of, of Warhammer Fantasy, as the times are ending, self-care is always first.
1: Well, actually, this is also the end of definitely the most ancillary and should-have-been-cut part of the story, which is the Wood Elves. So you've kind of had like oh these bits and pieces of of the Wood Elves doing stuff and and expeditioning from Athel Loren, and then what happens uh, is they get like uh, they get uh, they get griefed on by some banshees. They get and old, then they, and then they <laughs> just <fucking> they, <laughs> they open a portal and leave. <laughs> and it's completely <laughs> unexpected. like this is a setup for the next book where they where they go into uh, the Garden of Nurgle. It's basically um, Araloth and Chunderland but um, the, hmm. it's com- it's just a completely unnecessary element of the plot here um, which serves yeah. zero purpose and it, it kind of seems like corporate mandated It definitely it feels
2: like corporate mandated but it also feels like unfinished because yeah. that, that aspect, it plays into Gluck and it plays into Kane later but most of what happens there's a lot of important stuff that happens between the novels that just isn't in them which we'll talk about later I'm sure
0: Yeah, <laughs> well yeah, let's just finish up part three, and then we can kind of do a
1: a more g- general end times talk. Yeah. So in in the talk end, the, the oh gosh. <laughs> so the the final contention is mainly between the Hiles and because the humans kind of got sniped out. Um, yeah, uh, trying to prevent <laughs> yeah, Vol- ripped the, Volkmar. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. So um, that so Volkmar as the sacrifice. Uh, turns out he's going to be be used as a vessel to reconstruct Nagash, which is probably, I mean, if you're the leader of a, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's, it's not a great fate for them. Um, so Elise also tries to sabotage the ritual. This is where her, um, kind of, her Erekin storyline plays in. And Arcan is like, Hey, so you know, you know, you're, uh, your good buddy, Erikan, well, he's about to get murdered by this High Elf. If you try and stop my ritual, then your ex-boyfriend is going to die. You don't want that to you. And so she runs off to, to save him. Um, so <laughs> but that's one way of getting rid of a, uh, a schema, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I, I imagine that's how the uh, Return of the Jedi will uh, you know, Ray's yeah. going to strike down uh, Darth Sidious 2.0 cybernetic boogaloo, uh, but then uh, uh, best goth boyfriend Kylo Ren will be in danger, so she'll have to go save him. And then, and then, they'll, and then they'll smooch on, in the sunset. Uh, this is my canon.
2: And that's a, that, that part of it with Han, um, with Erecon being in danger and at least having to save him is something that um, is definitely we know we it was probably specifically Reynold's intention, and speaks to Erecon not being a really corporately managed part of the book, because in the campaign book, that part of the battle plays out differently, and Manfred just kills the oh,
1: And actually, interesting in the campaign book, an unnamed, an unnamed, the, the elf that and, um with Elise's help, manages to, uh, to, to not be killed by, essentially, in the campaign book, she comes back as a vampire by an unnamed character. So the only allusion to Erican in the campaign book is he now has like this Vanbrick thrall, which to be honest would have been interesting to be part of his character because his whole deal was he wants to be a free agent, he kind of wants to be at, at peace and just uh, separated and apart. But if he has turned someone and like at that point he kind of has almost this parental responsibility, which is what like the Vanbrick relationship is. So it would have been interesting to go into that, but. Bookends, so <laughs> there we are. Um, but yeah, um, we should. <laughs> Nagash say that comes first. N- Nagash does come back. Uh, is successfully, at um, least you know they they finish off the uh, the high elves trying to uh, kill them, and the situation only worsens for Manfred as he re- he he re- realizes quite quickly. <laughs> he realizes quite quickly his plan was he was not good, and then Arkana, uh, oh, sorry. Then Nagash only um, adds insult to injury. By literally like grabbing a pound of his flesh and then reconstructing Vlad, who's been like spitting venom in his ear this whole book, <laughs> and resurrects him uh, to emasculate his troublemaker son.
2: And Vlad, so, Vlad emasculates Manfred so much more in the in the rest of the uh, campaign book, actually.
0: Okay, I, I do think that was a wonderful stinger, though the the the, the epilogue. Uh, just kind of like, you're just like watching Manfred just get owned and tortured. And Nagash is just like, oh he's like, all belonged to Nagash eventually. And Manfred's, you know, just being a stubborn, petulant child. And then it just ends with that perfect stinger. It's like, it's like oh, by the way, Vlad, come here. And it's just like, son of a bitch. That was a uh, A-plus epilogue. A-plus epilogue. <laughs> uh, just to see Manfred, who's just been this unruly, <laughs> petulant man-baby his who's entire Madfred? time. Yeah, man, baby, man, Fred. Uh, but the, but the the difference in like a like a certain characters where you have like baby sort of stuff uh, where that can be annoying is that the book is more more than aware of uh manfred's flaws and like very much views him as this petulant manchild and doesn't think like oh manfred's cool and stuff it's like yeah manfred has wields great power but ultimately he sucks and the book is aware of that
1: yeah and i think people mm-hmm. complaining about manfred's character uh, like d- don't you see how how he's interesting at least because he's both he's he's impatient which undercuts the fact that he's intelligent like he's got smarts and guile but he's not very subtle. And that's kind of like a niche that isn't explored that often with characters where they kind of have plans, but they're also not like these kind of Mary Sue. Oh, I I, I plan this all along. Everything is part of my grand scheme. (laughs) It's like, no, he's just kind of impatient and wants to get things going and makes poor decisions, even though he's kind of working with decent information and makes some good kind of calls. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don. Uh, final thoughts about uh, Daddy Skeleton Bones rising up. Uh, death. Some death of some high elves and uh, end of the book. Yeah, I think it's.
2: Uh, I think it's a strong ending, and I think yeah, the second half of the book is definitely a lot better. But again, much. having read the yeah. campaign book, I just I wish it had gone on longer and adapted more of it because I think some of the most interesting stuff is underserved by being um in the second half of the campaign book where it doesn't get much. Uh, actual like good written uh, up
1: stuff in that case um as, as we wrap up shall we mention the because i've got one and i think I, I know which one yours is the parts of the campaign book that aren't in this and you kind of wish you had josh reynolds to kind of basically flesh it out a bit more
0: to authorize it a bit yes. yeah uh so yeah, we we want to do,
2: i can do like a little uh quick summary if we want
0: yeah, uh, well, well. before we get onto the Army book, just again, uh, reiterate with thoughts. Uh, I thought the book was great. Uh, you know, as somebody who's not like a big fan, I shouldn't say a big fan, just like someone who's not very familiar with the Warhammer fantasy si- setting. And he's kind of just entering the Age of Sigmar setting. Um, uh, the book has excellent characterization, Manfred and Archon, uh, and less so Ericam. I think Alex has kind of swayed me a little bit with his stuff but i was like blessing but excellent characterization of all everything uh wonderful battle scenes uh excellent attention to detail reynolds uh stellar author yeah i do think that he, in terms of the black library thing he's right up there with abnett and uh yeah uh don yeah, alex yeah
1: i i agree with you on all of that it's just that perhaps in this book he's working with some constraints that means sure. he, he's not yeah. Yeah, so this book is not as good as *Horace Rising*, uh, although Reynolds is kind of an equally talented author. It's just he's not always given the ability to shine quite as much uh, because of the constraints of this this story. But there are certainly a lot of good parts to it, and I think overall, um, it's a decent book.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty great book, and I think it's absolutely, I'd absolutely recommend it to someone who already knows a fair bit about Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, although I would recommend it in tandem with the campaign book rather than independently. Cause again, there's a lot of exposition and a lot of stuff that should have been in it.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, to end this episode, so let's kind of talk about, let's do a little defense of the end times that will be remaining spoiler heavy there. So again, if you don't, if you care about being spoiled about the end times or the, neg- or the campaign books, you know, don't listen any further, but if you, if you don't care or you are okay with being spoiled, uh, let's go on that. So Alex and Dawn. So since you brought this up to me, what are, so yeah, the question that Alex brought up. So it's kind of like something that you wish was fleshed out uh, a section of either the campaign books or just kind of like briefly covered in the end times in general that you wish was fleshed out more, um, perhaps given like a little bit more love. And then also let's kind of talk about why you think the end times are something that should be remembered and not just kind of buried in the past. Um, Well, there's a couple
2: of moments I really like, but um one of them that I kind of the obviously the most important one, the biggest, is uh, the battle against the Tomb Kings, um, because it's not just like like Kemler, the destruction of a character; it's the destruction of an entire faction. It's sort of this grand um, battle between uh, all of the all of the undead factions except the Tomb Kings, and all of the Tomb Kings, every character, as they're just like systematically either recruited. Or destroyed, and then it ends in this. Uh, it has this grand climactic battle between uh, Cetra and Nagash, which has a ton of great quotes. Um, you know that Cetra does not serve; he rules.
1: Yeah, often Nagash has just consumed the god of the underworld. So there's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's that.
2: <laughs> and then um, it has it has a lot of really great displays of power that are kind of just they're underserved by the by the campaign book's writing style, since it has to be kind of like a bat rap where. Um, you know, Nagash he 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 ascends the Black Pyramid, he he uh he uh, destroys the all the he corrupts the waters, he he buries the all the all the great cities of Nekahara under the sands and just sort of erases them um from history. And it's 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 so uh good. And then like the, the end, the final the, the very final pages of the lore section of the campaign book deal with Setra's with death and has his he has his bones scattered around the desert picked at He's, the vultures keep coming in to like pick at him like um like Prima, uh, Prometheus who stole fire from the gods has had the vultures picked at his organs etc the vultures will come down and he'll he'll scream at them to go away but he's 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 totally powerless and all he can do is is watch the the way the sunset on his empire it's so moving and it's really really um it's quite well written but i just wish that it, all of that sort of grand battle had had the the context in a novel which it doesn't have
1: we should also say that he gets tempted by chaos in that moment, and that kind of moment of vulnerability where he's like, he, Where he considers actually joining with the ruinous powers to to reclaim his things and get revenge?" Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would but, have been really well served by novelization. Cetra does not serve. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, so he's definitely kind of going against his his big motto. Um, but yep. the so, I I would pick a smaller part of. A, a concurrent storyline that is also in the campaign book. Uh, we we're talking about walls and um one of the other various walls in this um story is Balthazar Gelt has erected like this wall to the Auric bastion to prevent Archeon's forces. Well, it's kind of the Archaeon's vanguard who are like set outside uh, chucking rocks over the the wall <laughs> and trying to get in um from coming in yeah, and feeding
2: um, rude notes on yeah, there they're drawing yeah, the yeah. cool S.
1: Yeah, basically. Um and the storyline between uh, Balthazar Gelt and Vlad von Karstein, who's kind of like mentoring him and attempting him with power, and basically manipulating, like Balthazar Gelt is getting played by Vlad, is a really is probably the best character stuff in the campaign book. Um, because obviously it's restricted a bit by the format of being told as a codex plot summary rather than a novel. And I would have really enjoyed seeing um reynolds's kind of take on the uh, the vlad and guilt dynamic i think some of that is is in the fall of Aldorf book but the actual the fun stuff which is guilt kind of being so kind of taken by the uh by like vlad's kind of um charms and in the end he's using necromancy and just not noticing that everyone is looking at him like he's this insane crazy person and he's like what's what's going on you know i'm, I'm just trying to help to the extent where he's he has a meeting with Karl Franz, and only realizes it's like ten minutes later that he's been shouting at Karl Franz in an endless rant, and he's like, "Oh, okay, um, maybe I'm a bit <laughs> uh, underslept." There are so many great moments in the camera.
2: It I Have to read that There's like a lot of great faction switching, like the Blood Dragons turn to chaos. There's a lot of characters in it that uh, don't appear in the novel, like Luther Harkon is in it, and also Neferada, who forms this great contrast with Arkon and Manfred as the other. Uh, sort of big Mortarch, and she has a very distinct personality. Where she's she's mature like Archon, but she's self-serving like Manfred. It's really really great. Yeah.
1: Oh, and also the uh, the Aliathra Everchild plot is explained where because she's um, Tyrion's uh, daughter um, because of basically high high elf uh, stuff. Um, high she's balls. had Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's literally an affair that she's had outside of the Phoenix King. And yes. Yes. Tyrion carries anarin's blood. It means that um, the Gashes, uh, kind of like his his big spell and his uh, his rise, has been sort of corrupted, and so he he doesn't have the the same power that he he necessarily could. And that's and
2: that's the most Game of Thrones part of any of it
0: is the the child who's secretly uh, out of wedlock.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I so I I I definitely feel like the the very interesting. I am sure you guys could. Name another uh, sections from the campaign book forever for at least another hour or so. So, uh, but in terms of wrapping things up, uh, like I, I do want the answer to my final question is why should the end times be remembered? Um, And of course, how how do we go about kind of revising them? Like the revisionist take about the end times. Don, you obviously gave this the great explanation of like why the chuds that sort of stuff. But why should we? as a larger Warhammer community, in maybe even not just like an Age of Sigmar fan base, remember the end times and not just kind of be like, oh, it's that weird little uh, corporate uh, necessary feedback. So Don, let's start with you and then we'll move on to Alex after Don.
2: I think it's really important to remember the end times because otherwise you might not get stuff like this. Despite it being quite corporate and it has a lot of meddling, it's also like a really interesting product that we just never see where it's this real, digging down of like we're going to end this ancient setting in this really really final way and we're going to and you you never see that sort of again the game of thrones uh anyone can die anything can happen storytelling in long-running franchises and i think sort of even if the end times is is quite messy and it's quite short it's quite rushed it has a lot of those ideas that are just they're they're missing a lot of war games and a lot of fantasy in general yeah
1: it's not just um, like most people will be familiar with the end times here or there um, and or like they've looked at the 1D4chan page with the list of everyone dead. And it's like, I mean, if if you were to do that with the Horus Heresy, if you're just to look up the list of, of who dies, and yeah, sure, you're probably not going to get a great impression of, of the series, are you? It's like, oh yeah, they're dead, they're alive, they turn, blah, blah, blah. Who cares, right? And I don't necessarily think that, partly because it's five books and um, th- they didn't really have the time to really breathe. It's not like the equal to the Horus Heresy in terms of breadth and scope and, and quality. Uh, partly I mean, also
2: because Horus forever with the yeah yeah and your books,
1: and not a single one of the book is like the level of say Legion, let's say. Uh, but it's still definitely worth remembering, um, and it's kind of like a fun origin story to Age of Sigma that you might get a kick out of. In retrospect, having kind of maybe played war and being vestigially aware of some character names, but not really knowing how things came to pass, um, yeah. And as I said, it's a uh, it's obviously a metaphor for environmental crisis. Um, I mean, that's clear, right?
0: So Throw, throwing that into there, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's
1: kind of like grasping the straws a bit. Yeah, as as a meme about <laughs> the, the straws White that Walkers. have been banned by law. <laughs>
2: And we talk about um we talk we talked about we talk very positively about Nagash, but also I think it even gets like better over time. So definitely if you read Nagash and think, oh this is this is okay. I I quite like this. You should definitely check out more of it because it's it really has a lot of great stuff in there.
0: Yeah, I think Reynolds only gets better as an author as he gets as as he continues. And the more work they to do with Nagash, the happier I will be. So um yeah, so everybody, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, Dawn, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and working <laughs> with our messy time zones and schedules. Uh, yeah, uh, so as, as always, if you are interested in listening more, um, check us out at sigmarxism.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, give us a review there. Uh, we'll always appreciate it. You know, we got to make Those brackets, all that fun stuff. Uh, check out the subreddit where uh, Alex and Dawn are uh, the, the, the moderators, and uh, I'm sure you'll get in an argument about farsight good, farsight bad <laughs> with either Dawn or more, more likely Dawn than Alex. And
1: uh, we do or- care that much, do we? We're not invested in this argument, <laughs> we've got other things that we're always pissed off about. <laughs> so. Oh, oh uh,
0: always for the our top memers of the subreddit. and. And you know, message one of the moderators, either one of the ones listed on there, to uh, join the Discord and shit post with us about Age of Sigma or Warhammer Forty K, or just want to talk about video games and politics and yell about the hell world that we live in. Uh, as always, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, check out Return of the Gash. I highly, and I think everyone here, highly recommends it. And as always, nationalize Games Workshop.
1: Nationalize Games Workshop.
2: I I saw they killed a whole bunch of characters. Scaven in dark rooms, just walk in and stab them while they're sleeping.